Hey everybody, I'm Chad Jeffers. You may know me from touring with Carrie Underwood, Keith Urban, or Kenny Loggins. But you know, today I'm talking with Christine on the Five Star Experience Show. Check it out. What would you do with an army of raving fans? How would that transform your business? Creating a five-star customer experience is the most important thing that you can do in your business. It will help you stand out, rise to the top, and save you thousands of dollars in marketing. I am obsessed with finding and creating five-star customer experiences. In fact, it's my superpower. On this journey together, you'll hear interviews with business owners at the top of their industries, sharing actionable strategies and tips to improve your customer experience and create your own army of raving fans. I'm your guide, Christine Huey. Welcome to the Five Star Experience Show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Five Star Experience Show. I'm Christine Huey, and today's episode is so fun. If you are a live music fan, if you enjoy going to concerts, and if you've always wondered what it's like behind the scenes, today we get a little peek. Actually, a pretty big peek. I've got Chad Jeffers here with me. Chad has been a musician his whole life, and he has played with enormous artists like Keith Urban, Kenny Loggins, and most recently, he has been Carrie Underwood's guitarist for the last 13 years. And he is so generous with talking about what it's like to work in the live music industry and what it's like to work with major music artists like Carrie Underwood, Keith Urban, and Kenny Loggins. Not only that, but he goes into detail about how a show and a tour is actually built from the building of the stage to the blocking, to the music, to the choreography, to actually performing in front of tens of thousands of people each night and up to and over a million people over the course of a tour. This episode is so much fun. Thank you for being here. And without further ado, here's Chad. Hi, Chad. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Five Star Experience Show. Thank you for having me, Christine. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I know we've been trying to get connected for a while because we're both in the same mastermind group. We both live in Nashville, and I'm so excited that today is the day. And here we are on Zoom, even though we're just miles apart from each other, which is okay. I know. Gosh, that 2020 stuff. Or now, if, yeah. <laughs> if it weren't that, we would be hanging out in somebody's living room, That's which right. probably could be a recording studio because we live in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So I'm so excited to have you on the show because you have a unique experience that not a lot of people have. You are the guitarist for Carrie Underwood, which means that you have performed and brought an amazing experience with lots of energy to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. So let me ask, what is it like to perform in front of large crowds of people? It is exhilarating. And it's, to me, it's, there's two sides of it, because there's one side of it where the one of the questions I get asked a lot is, what's it like when you first walk on stage in front of 60,000 people? And to me, it, it's there's two sides of that because one, it's like it's going to my office. You know, I, I see the riser that I'm going to. I'm like, all right, time to go to work. And, it, it you know, it's time to to entertain and to, you know, help people maybe escape something for the next 90 minutes or the next two hours. So there's that side. And then the other side for me is if I was seeing this show right now, what what would I be look you know what would I be feeling what would I be looking for what would I want to experience what would I want this experience in all like overall to be like and you know that that's the other aspect of it for me and 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 I, I guess if there's a third thing I'm always thinking about some young kid out there watching you know us play guitar and they're like because you know that was me and I'm like oh what kind of guitar is he playing you know, what moves is he doing? You know, what, you know, lick is he playing? You know, and, and so I'm always thinking kind of those three different things just, you know, and then how can I make this experience the best experience for everybody involved? And for, for us as, as a, you know, entertainers, us as a band, how can I support the artists that I'm working for? Which fortunately for the last 
13 years or so, it's been Carrie Underwood. And that's a great person to support because she doesn't need a lot of support. <laughs> and, but, you know, as a, as a musician, as a professional musician, my job is to make her look the best she can look and sound the best she can sound. So, you know, if she's, if she's coming over to us on stage to rock out, then you rock out with her and you, you know, you do everything you can to make her look the best she can, which once again, she doesn't need any help at all, but <laughs> it's fun to be that support. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And I agree. Carrie Underwood is amazing all on her own. Not that it doesn't get better with an incredible live band, which is a very important part to creating a full show. So I have a million questions for you, to be honest, but I want to start with, so let's go back to 13 years ago when you either meet or are interviewed by Carrie Underwood. I kind of want to know how that relationship was built. And then I really want to move into also, how do you guys plan an experience? How do you plan the next tour and the next show? And and what goes into making sure that you're bringing this amazing five-star experience to a stage where literally hundreds of thousands of people are going to see you over the course of several months. Right. So the first question, it, it's a little complicated, but yet it's so simple. And it's, I know that you have a lot of business owners that, that listen to this and this goes, whether in you're in the music business, whether you're on in touring, whether you're in the studio business or whether you're a business owner, it, I think it's the same answer. And so how did I get connected to Carrie? Well, it actually didn't happen at that connection. It started years before that. And I was out with Keith Urban and uh, we finished a show with, you know, playing, we call them dust bowls. You know, we're in the middle of a racetrack, you know, and it's, it's <laughs> dusty and everything. And, and so uh, the band that was before us, they came out and hung out with us after the show uh, on our bus. We're just sharing war stories and, and talking about just music stuff. And I remember the, the guy sitting next to me, one of the guys from the opening band, you know, I just said, Hey man, it's, it's great talking with you. If here's my number, if you ever need, you know, a slide guitarist, you know, which I play pedal, still lap, still Dobro. I'm like, if you ever need anything like that, Hey, just give me a shout, you know, just being nice and just making them feel at home. And sure enough, I guess it was three years later, he called me and he said, Hey, um, you know, this is Mark. You probably don't remember me, but you know, we met back on that, that dust bowl, you know, years and years ago. And he said, I really appreciate you just, you know, treating, treating all of us with respect and, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm the music director now for Carrie Underwood. We're looking for a slide player and you're the guy. Can you meet with the management this afternoon? And I remember I was walking into a, a little small house and uh, down on music row, which mm-hmm. for those that are not in the Nashville area, music row is like where, you know, songs are written, studios are. That's where like the whole music business is within just a couple of rows of each other. And so I was walking into a, a, a publishing house there on Music Row. And, you know, I had my guitar and I was just jeans and a T-shirt. And, you know, I told him, I said, I would love to meet with management today, but I'm literally walking into a session and I'm not dressed to meet with management and I don't have the right guitar. And he's like, no, 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 no. They don't want any of that. They just want to talk to you and just make sure that, you know, it's, it's a good fit. And so I did my writing session and then I went and met with their management and that was it. And here we are 13 years later. That's awesome. And I'm so glad that you highlighted that because in Nashville, especially, I think so much runs on your network and on your community. Without it's, a doubt. Oh yeah. And the music industry is so strong in that way. And it's not just these big recording artists, it's playing down on Broadway. It's who you know and and who do you know that can give you the referral? Who do you know that are in these places that you want to play at or with these people you want to play with? So I'm so glad that you talk about that because I think even in areas outside of Nashville, building a powerful network is so important and that sometimes will get you in the door to some of these bigger, you know, in this case, venues or bigger artists, but in other cases, having bigger clients, Right. So I just, I love that you highlighted that. Well, Chad, I'm sure that you've had to take advantage of a lot of opportunities where you knew that you had to show up at your best in order to get the opportunity to play with these big artists. So my question for you is, has it ever been a lot of pressure? And how do you handle the unknowns of performing live when you know that there's a lot on the line? One thing that I've learned by being in this business is that you've got to expect the unexpected and you've got to be ready at all times. There's so many times that 
the, the, like the smallest of opportunities that you can expand that and make it into even a greater opportunity. And a lot of times people, they have a fear. It's fear-based because they're like, what, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. And of course, nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, we don't know what's going to happen from, from moment to moment. And these are just larger moments, you know, or possibly can be. So for me, one of the first times that I played, actually the first time I played with Carrie was at the Grand Ole Opry. So no pressure there. <laughs> <laughs> That's and amazing. also we were, um, her producer, Mark Bright, was there and we were recording a track for an, an album of some sort, like with a compilation, I think it's for Cracker Barrel or something. And so once again, no pressure. My first time playing with her and we're going to record it for a, a major distribution project. But that's the moment where you've just got to, you know, as, as a musician, you know, just take a deep breath, say, all right, this is what I'm, I'm trained to do. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. But with this pressure, it puts me on my toes just a little bit more. And it makes me just a little more anxious in a good way, anxious and for me to to step up to the plate and to really knock one out of the park. That's awesome. It's almost like it gives you that little edge. I think performers, they yes. like that little bit of nervousness because they like that edge. It, it gives them a little bit of a leg up. So someone asked Bruce Springsteen uh, if he ever gets anxious before going out, you know, and, and performing. And he said, well, yes. And whenever I get that anxiousness, that's when I know I'm ready to go out and perform. So it is that edge that he's he's waiting for. You know, it's it, you hear the crowd, you hear the building, you know, rumble. You know, a lot of times people are in the stands and, you know, hitting their feet against the floor and, and you just feel the energy of the, the building. And, you know, I've, I've definitely trained myself that when I feel that little that nervous or that little kind of the butterfly feeling in your stomach, that's when it's it's time to go time to get out there and and perform. So 13 years later or 20 years later in your career, do you still feel that before most performances? Through a lot of them, yes. And some more than others. Once again, a lot of times it's that the fear kicks in, you know, where if you um, like early on doing a show, you know, in terms of like the, the big tour show, you know, because there, there's so many moving parts, you know, there's the music part, there's the light part, there's video there's um lifts throughout the stage you know with hydraulics you know there's pyro there's like all this stuff you know and you're thinking okay for everything to work you know well 100 you know it's it's a long shot but and everyone's on their toes but it's you just roll with it and like many things in life same thing goes for on stage it's not if something goes wrong but when something goes wrong how do you deal with it and it's the how you deal with it makes all the difference in the world. And it also, that connects with the audience also. Because if you're freaked out because something didn't go wrong or didn't go right, they're going to be freaked out. So, you know, the more you can just make everyone feel at ease is is the better. And if something is wrong, and, and Carrie is always so great with this, she just laughs it off. And then we just keep going on with the show. And it's a non-issue. People don't walk away saying, oh, my gosh, can you believe that happened? If anything, they're saying, can you believe that how graceful she was in, in dealing with something like that? I love that you go into so much detail there because I think it really shines a light on all of the things. There's so many things that go on behind the scenes of a live event that those of us that live in Nashville and work so close to this amazing music industry, we understand. But as a showgoer, sometimes you don't understand the extravagance and I mean that by the hundreds of people that are there working this event and everybody has a little role and you get one shot to make it right because it's a live event. So I think it's neat that you that you bring that up. Thank you for the look behind the scenes. So, Chad, when because these live experiences have so many moving parts and so many details, how does it work? How does a tour like this get planned? Like the Cry Pretty Tour, for example, how does something like that start? Is it a long process? And, and what involvement do you have as an artist that's on stage? Yeah, it is a long process. And uh, there is a show producer that is in charge of it. Uh, much like there's a record producer that's in charge of recording an album. Well, there's a show producer in charge of how the state, you know, and obviously he or she is working with Carrie, with management, you know, asking questions, 
What do you want this to be like? What do you want the experience to be like for the concert goer? All those kind of questions. What songs do you want? Is there a different style of of how you want to do a song in terms of performing it? Do you want to, instead of doing it the way it's recorded on the album, do you want it a little bit different? And so uh, this last one, uh, the, the show producer was fantastic in terms of designing all of that. And so they work probably, I don't know, probably six months before we ever do anything because he has to work with the stage builder. And so they literally, they, they design a stage and, and then they, uh, they build the stage. I think it's normally done out in Las Vegas, which we've been to the, we, we rehearsed there once where they built stages and it's so cool. I mean, it's just like this huge, looks like an airport hangar. And so on one side, they're making our stage. And I think on the other one was like Beyonce stage or something. But literally, they're, they're welding this thing together. They have a design where it can, you know, be taken apart and moved because we're, you know, you know, we normally do 80 to 100 shows or so with this stage. So everything is very meticulous and, and weight. You know, they're trying to keep it as light as possible because, you know, we have 20 trucks, you know, and they're wow. making sure that we it can only be in 20 trucks and we don't need 25 trucks. So, I mean, they're always making sure that the weight and, and can pack it away and everything. So that's even before we are even in the equation. <laughs> so, um, and once we get into the equation, they, they send us the music to learn. You know, if it's a new album, they'll send us the music. Uh, we learn it. We have the charts. The Nashville number system is, is how we read music, which is um, just a quick tutorial is basically it's by numbers. And so instead of a song being in the key of C and using C, C, F, G, we would use numbers as in one, one, four, five. So each number represents um, where the song would start. So if a song is in C, that would be one. And then you count up C, D, E, F, which would be four. And then G would be five. And so that's how we read music in Nashville. Almost everyone reads music that way. And uh, so anyway. I'll be honest, I've never, wait, I'm sorry. I have to stop you real quick because I've never heard this before. This is yeah. like, and, and I have to ask you a little bit more about it. So do the numbers correspond to the key to the song or do they correspond to the actual notes? So it's or to both. the notes. So the reason of it is, so if, if you write out a Nashville number system, Nashville number chart, and the vocalist comes in and goes, oh my gosh, I can't do this song in C. It's got to be in G. Well, instead of having writing this chart again, well, G is now the one. And then C, so G, A, uh, B, C. So then C would be the four. D would be the five. So everything, you don't have to rewrite the chart. It's just a different key. And you just assign the number to it, the the new key. You know, that makes so much sense. And now that you're telling me this, I'm thinking about all of the music experiences that I've had just seeing things behind the scenes and being on Broadway and hearing guest people go up and being like, ah, we got to do it in a lower key. That's why all these musicians can do that on the fly. Yeah, exactly. I had no idea. That's amazing. Well, and and you get, as a musician, you you get really good. So you can listen to a song and you can literally chart it out in your head. And so whenever we talk to someone else, like, hey, what's this song? Oh, man, it's it's 1145, 1145, uh, five, six, minor, four, five, and then back to the one. And so then that's the way we we talk. Like, okay, got it. So whenever we play with someone you you know what's coming that's phenomenal i'm just like in shock over here that's really crazy i had no idea that not only do you have to be a musician that i say have to not only do you have to read music as a musician but you have to learn at some point this whole other system to really perform here in nashville because i'm sure that most performers do this and actually most most musicians working musicians um don't necessarily read music they they use the nashville number system more than anything interesting Mm-hmm. That's so fascinating. See, now yeah. you're knowing the secrets. secrets I know this is town. crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I my mind is blown already. That's incredible. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's that's really phenomenal. So you so get the charge. Okay, yeah, we'll go back so to the back. question. <laughs> sorry, sorry for that whole no. that whole uh, side street right there. That um, uh, anybody that plays music that's listening to this, I'm sure, is like their mind is blown as well. <laughs> so. Uh, so back to the process of us learning the show. So we get the songs. We're doing the national number charts. A lot of times we'll pass them around to the the musician or like the our bandmates. So we're all on the same page with the same, literally with the same page of numbers. 
And then as a band, we get together and just rehearse the music. And rehearsing the music is us being pretty much in a circle and and working on the different parts. If there's transitions that our music director, which a music director is the liaison between the band and management or the show producer. So our, our music director is the one that knows what they're needing in the show in terms of like a transition, you know, so you have all these songs, but then you want like a music transition between certain songs. And so he knows how long that transition needs to be. And then, so we work on different music aspects of that. So we, we will rehearse, I don't know, three weeks or so, just the music, just for the show. Um, also we're working out our own personal gear stuff, you know, just uh, fine tuning and tweaking things. And then we'll move to an arena and that's where the, the, they've already, while we're doing the music, they're working on the show. So they've got the stage set up, they got the light a full rig. And so they're working on all of that. And so while we're working on music, then when we come on, they put us on stage and then we work, work out the different uh, parts in terms of visual parts in terms of like, okay, on this song, you need to go to the other side of the stage. There's going to be a light that's going to light you up here. And then, you know, and then you keep moving. So it's just more of that choreography kind of between us as a group. And then we just run the show over and 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 over. And and so, um, you know, and and with that, we're working on ourselves, um, like, you know, lighting's making sure they're working on theirs, you know, making sure the video, everything, um, because it is a uh, it's a symphony of a lot of different actions going on. So yeah, it's when it's after the first show in front of people, I think everyone breathes a sigh of relief just because they're like, all right, we got one down. Let's, let's go. Let's do another one. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, yeah. this worked. Here we go. Let's, let's move forward. And then of course, you know, at the, the last show of the tour, you know, it's, it's a bittersweet for everyone because they're like, wow, we, that was so much work, but so relieved and and so just gratifying just that that we we did this you know and um you know most tours will you know will play in front of hundreds of thousands uh, if not you know a million folks in the course of a tour so it's uh you know it's it's just it's very gratifying and feel like you've done something at the end of the day <laughs> that's for sure i would hope so that is it's that's phenomenal and just out of, again, out of curiosity, when you're rehearsing in this arena or you're rehearsing with the full stages, are you guys doing that at a place? Like, are you renting out an arena for that? Or are you doing it at a place like Soundstage, for example? Um, Soundstage, which is a, a rehearsal venue here in Nashville, they uh, they do have an area for full production. Um, however, we normally do arenas. So sometimes it's in Nashville. We've done Mobile, Alabama. A lot of times we'll go to the first where the first show is going to be, and then mm-hmm. we'll just be there for an extended period of time. So yeah, it all differs. It's all in the availability of arenas. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if yeah, we can set sense. up and stay there for you know an extended amount of time. What is and just what what is an extended amount of time? Do you go and rehearse like a bunch for a week, or are you talking you're there for two to three weeks to get everything dialed in? Yeah, two to three weeks. That's so neat. Ah, I love all the behind the scenes stuff. Thank (laughs) you for going so detailed as a live events person. Like I just, I think it's so fascinating. This is great. So when you are building the show, when you're doing all of the rehearsals, are you at some point, once you have everything down and you've got the music down, you've got your choreography down, do you then practice how to bring the performance aspect to it? Like, is that Um, something that you rehearse as well? I think the performance aspect comes from what I've been working on for the last 30 years of my life. You know, starting out as a kid at eight years old, you know, I was seeing, hey, ooh, I get an, I get a, a reaction when I do this from the crowd. Ooh, they like this or, oh, they don't like that. And I think that that is something that I've worked on my whole life. And so whenever we work with the the show producer and the in different, all the choreography and everything, I'm going back in my memory of, of things that, that I knew has, that has worked for me up to this point in my life. And then I'm thinking, okay, how can I translate that into everything that we're doing and, and mold that into everything else? And so then that's, that's 
my aspect of that is, is just, you know, letting the performance come out of me, much like music. Music is something that's in me. And I, I play a lot of different instruments. And, you know, the, the biggest question is like, well, how do you learn all these instruments? I'm like, well, I just learned the mechanics of the instrument. And then I just let the music, my musicality, that's what flows through. And that's what goes through the instrument. And so I just see myself more as a vessel in, in that regards. And instead of me being like the master creator, no, I think the master creator is, is like more of a higher power and I'm just channeling the music. And whether that's a, you know, a dobro, whether that's a guitar, whether that's a saxophone or a harmonica, who knows, you know, I just do my best to be, you know, just to be the vessel. That's so neat. Do you have any tips for somebody that um, has performance as part of their their job or their business where they have to show up and be in front of people? Do you have any tips for them? Absolutely. I think that the biggest tip is to be prepared. Know your material and be prepared. Being prepared brings confidence. And I, I think that that's one of the, you know, especially in terms of performing on stage. I mean, if you don't know a song and you're up there in front of 15,000 people, well, you're not going to look too confident. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. you're <laughs> going to look timid and you're, you're just, you're not going to play in to the guitar. Um, and so one thing I've, I've learned is, you know, the better, you know, the music, the better, you know, um, as a salesperson, the better, you know, the brochure that you're showing in front of a client, you know, as a real estate agent, the better I know a house before I go and show a house to someone here in the Nashville area that brings confidence. And to me that that's 99% of the performance aspect is, you know, knowing your material, being prepared and, and showing up, you know, showing up as a professional. That's great. All right. One last question on the performance side. How do you make sure that you're bringing energy day after day over the course of 80 to 100 shows? How do you make sure that you bring that same energy even on days when you're really tired or maybe you're not feeling well or you're sick? I have to imagine that just like any other job, there there are days when you're like, oh, man, oh, <laughs> today might not be the best day. How do you How do you make sure that you're bringing that every single time? two aspects to this question. And one is as a performer, and I believe as even, even as a salesperson, you've got to recharge. You've got to have your downtime. You've got to have your quiet time and you got to figure out what it is that does recharge you. Some people, if they're more introverted, not being around people helps recharge them. Extroverts, sometimes being around people helps recharge them. I think as an entertainer, you've got to figure that out and you've got to know you know, for me, a lot of times it is quiet time. It is like literally nothing, um, you know, no, I'm a musician. So I love to have music playing throughout my house all the time. But when I'm on the road, there's a lot of times that, you know, I, I need to have like a meditation, a 30 minute meditation. I'm a big journal writer. That's another recharging for me. And so I feel like as a performer, you've got to have the recharging. So that's the one side of the, the question. The other part of that is, when you show up and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to, I got to go to quote unquote work. Can't believe I'm doing air quotes, but sorry. <laughs> no, I understand. <laughs> That's my only air quotes of the day. So, <laughs> um, but you know, you, you, you're showing up to work and you've got to bring it and you've got to give a hundred percent. I think the, the part for me is people are seeing us possibly for the first time or, and, or maybe the last time, maybe this is the only chance they ever get to see you know, carry perform, or, you know, if, if I'm doing something or giving a talk or anything of that nature, this may be the only interaction they ever have with me. And I want to make sure that that is the best possible interaction that they can, they, they can experience. And so those kind of nuggets in, in my mind drive me to be the best I can be at, at any given moment. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of times performing live that, you know, you've traveled, 2000 miles and you, you know, you, you're running on very little sleep and, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We know you could, but it is so important to show up and to do your best and to give all the energy that you possibly can. Yeah, that's awesome. So Chad, when you get on stage, how does a small, a small ish band 
uh, of maybe five to 10 people, how do you fill the space of a big arena, of a hockey arena, or even a football arena? How, how do you fill that space? How do you make sure that like what you're bringing hits the seat all the way in the back furthest from the stage? For me, uh, personally, I look to the, the seat in the back and I look for that person. And I look for the person in the first couple of rows um, on the crop pretty tour. They actually, the, the floor was festival seating. So, you know, people are just standing up everywhere. There was actually a, a section in the middle of the stage that was also um, people could stand there too. So it was really cool to have people close to us because we can feel that energy. Um, so when they're close to us. So for me, I'm always looking at those people, almost having a conversation with them obviously not talking, but just in terms of looking at them, eye contact and, and, you know, just getting their, their energy and seeing, make sure they're having a good time. Then I'm looking at the very back of the room, uh, looking at the, the top, the top row, the Bob Euchre seats, you know, the, the really, you know, the, the ones where probably some people are like, Oh, I got to go to this concert and she's dragging me to this concert. And, uh, you know, and trying to find those people and try to engage with those people. And, and hopefully they're having a good experience too. So obviously people are like, well, how can you see those people? Because the lights are in your eyes. So one trick that I've learned, and I learned this from Reba McIntyre, and I think it's an actually an old Broadway trick is that I would basically look at exit signs because oh. exit signs are illuminated and they're all throughout the, the arena and so whenever you focus on, cause if you just look into like a black abyss of, of nothing and you can't see, you know, you can't even see like shapes of people, there's no focus in your eyes. Whereas when you look at an exit sign, people in that area think they're, they're that you're looking right at them because you're focused. And so that's kind of a Broadway trick in terms of just look at the exit signs. So um, a lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll count the exit signs as I'm, you know, playing, <laughs> looking around. So that's my uh, that's my little secret. <laughs> oh, I love that. And speaking of little secrets, you actually put together a really neat course called Backstage Notes that talks right. about. Yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more about that and what's involved in it. Yeah, Backstage Notes is actually it's it's a sequel to a book that I wrote a couple of years ago called Twenty Five Notes for the Successful Musician. Uh, at the time I was with Kenny Loggins and everyone kept asking me, they're like, how did you get a gig with Keith Urban and Kenny Loggins? And how did you get signed to RCA with your band? And, and, you know, as we've been talking about here, it's, it's not necessarily like a, a one sentence answer. There's a process. And so with back or with uh, 25 notes, I basically, I, I took notes on everything through the years of, you know, smart things that people have done or stupid things people have done which was usually me and <laughs> you know, mistakes and triumphs and everything like that. And I put it all into uh, 25 notes, which is available on Amazon. So a lot of my friends were ribbing me saying, Hey man, one's book number two coming out. And for anyone who's ever written a book, it is, I, I always tell people, I'm like, if you want to get a lot of work done around your house, start writing a book because you're <laughs> going to find any reason other than to write a book, you're going to, oh my gosh, gutters need to be cleaned right now. They cannot <laughs> wait. And so the thought of writing another book was just not in me, but creating an online course is because I would rather be able to talk things out. And, and then also I interviewed a lot of experts within the music industry in terms of um, like songwriters, like a hit songwriter. And it was very, um, I wanted the course to be very um, like practical and not, in theory, what do you think? But this is like very practical advice. And so like with the hit songwriter, I'm like, what, what are the three main things that you saw when you moved to Nashville as a songwriter, what moved the needle for you in terms of, you know, moving your career forward? Also talking with engineers, like a, just a great engineer and uh, Taylor Swift's first manager and uh, spoke with him and, and asked him, you know, what was some of her secrets of getting started in, in this business as a, what, 14 or 15 year old? And so I wanted to, to bring in some of the experts and talk about all of this stuff that I've experienced. And so we had a great dialogue going back and forth that I think that a lot of people can learn from. And whether you 
want to do music as a career or whether you're just a hobbyist and you want to learn more about what happens in a musician's life, kind of like what we're talking about here, then this is the, the course for you. And I say course, I mean, it, it's a lot of entertaining moments. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It does sound like it. It sounds like it. you just get this behind-the-scenes look at the music industry with people that have walked it with, have walked this path with huge major artists. That's so cool. Oh yes. my gosh, that's neat. I kind of want to, I really want to check this out now. <laughs> just because, you know, man, when you live in Nashville, you're around all this stuff. But when you really get to deep dive with somebody to hear, you know, I think in Nashville, we, we also know that there's a lot involved because the music industry here is a, is massive and you learn that it's not just the artists it's it's the engineers it's the people that work on stage it's the people that do lighting it's the people that build shows it's the people that manage tours like there's the music industry is probably 10 times bigger or 50 times bigger than most people realize but when you start peeling back those layers it is so fascinating how all these pieces work so <laughs> i think it's neat that you put this all into a course i think that's lovely it's always fun, especially on the Cry Pretty tour, um, you know, being, what, I don't know, 20 trucks, 10 buses. And whenever I'd have guests come out and see our show, I, I would take them, the, you know, literally the behind the scenes and take them backstage. And their eyes were always just big as saucers. I mean, they're like, so all this stuff is always here and you guys just came in? I'm like, no, no, no. All of this, everything you're seeing, we take with us. They're like, even the stuff hanging down from the ceiling? And yes. Even the stage? Yes. You know, catering, even that, yes, we, we, everything moves with us. So it is amazing to, to see all the, the different things. And even, even to this day, um, there's a lot of times if I get to the venue early, I'll go in and watch them set up uh, everything. Of course, they don't want us on this or anywhere close to anything, you know, because if uh, they're moving, there's a lot of, you know, forklifts and everything like that. So we're banned from being on the, <laughs> being on the floor. But it, it's fascinating just to watch how they put the stage together and, um, and then, of course, at the end of the show, how they they're able to take the stage down and have it all packed up in in just an insane amount of time. So, so it's so fascinating to watch. Yeah, I agree. I actually spent a couple seasons working at Bridgestone Arena, both hockey games and concerts, and that is the most amazing thing. Is I didn't get to see the setup, but as we were shutting down the bar before the show ends, you go down into like the catacombs down in the basement yeah. and you see all the behind the scenes. You see like the amount of cases that came off these trucks. A, right. And then you see this team often for big shows like Carrie Underwood's would be, you see a team of 50 or 80 people that are just ready for their time to go and start tearing that stuff down. Cause yeah. it's got to go in a truck. Cause it's got to be across the country two days from now. Like That's it right. is really something to see all that stuff happen. Yeah, that's so cool. All right. So I feel like we would be amiss to not talk about COVID, right? So I think we have to talk about the fact that performances aren't happening. And I know that that's what you love. You've built your whole life around performing and being on tour and working with these amazing artists. Tell me about what happened when COVID hit. How how did that affect tours that were scheduled? And what have you done since then? Yeah, and... COVID was, was a, I mean, no one ever saw something like this coming, you know, I mean, especially in the live business, you know, cause we always thought, Hey, live music, no matter what will always be around until a pandemic happens, yeah. <laughs> you know, we really didn't think in those terms. So yeah, like our whole tour uh, this year was canceled and we were actually in rehearsals and about, you know, set to go out that night. And, um, this was back in, in March when everything started getting locked down. And so, um, you know, everything was canceled basically until, well, at first we thought for the next two months it's going to be canceled. And then obviously it, it was a lot more than that. And then of course, you know, the, the quarantining and then the lockdown in general of, of the, of the U S. And so during that moment, um, especially during the lockdown, I, I just thought, okay, you know, once again, I'm a big journal writer. So, I actually, I wrote a journal entry of my future self three months from now. And I wrote to myself basically saying, all right, so for the last three months, we've been in this lockdown. And after that, I basically said what I wanted to have accomplished with the, at the end of this lockdown. So, you know, I love Netflix, but I didn't want to binge watch on everything Netflix and, you know, all movies on, uh, you know, in, in the, the on demand category or anything. 
so there's definitely some new skill sets that I was wanting. Um, growing up, my dad was a singer songwriter and my mom was a real estate agent. So uh, music and real estate have always been a big part of my life. And for many years, I've thought about getting my real estate license. Well, when the lockdown happened, I thought this is the perfect opportunity for me to, to move into that. So that's what I did. And, and anyone who knows, I mean, it's like a 60 hour course that you have to take all online. So I was able to do it, you know, um, while we we're in lockdown and then, um, you know, go and get, uh, take my certification and get certified and get my license as a real estate agent, which I did. And, uh, and then I got, was fortunate enough to know a, a broker here with a, a company called Compass and they have a sports and entertainment division. So we help um, hit songwriters. We help uh, artists and entertainers uh, find their next dream home or their trophy home as it may be. And uh, so to me, it, it was a perfect fit for me to step into that role as a real estate agent. So many people are saying, well, that's something great to fall back on. And to me, I don't see it as falling back on anything or pivoting even for that matter. I see it as an expansion of everything that I've always been doing my whole life, which I'm in the service business. You know, being a musician, I am in the service business. You know, I, I do a lot of recording at home. So people will send me their their tracks, say, hey, my track, it's broken. It needs something. And I don't know what it needs. I'm in the service business to say, well... What you need is a dobro on this the second verse and into the chorus. I think that would be great. And so I'm helping a solution to their problem. And so also as a, a live musician, I'm in the service business. I'm there to help Carrie. I'm, I'm there to help her put on a show, put on this massive show and take it to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. That's my job. I'm in the service business. And as a real estate agent or a real estate advisor, I'm there to help service the uh, the client find their next home or to help them sell their home. So to me, I see it as just an expanding of everything that I've always been doing throughout my life anyway. So, and it's, it's been a, it's been an awesome journey and I'm, I'm really, uh, really excited about it. And it, it's taken off with a, uh, with a huge, uh, with a bang. So. <laughs> I love that. And I'm so glad that you have found a way to make something happen. Cause I know that, most of us, especially I think around the world, but definitely the conversation in Nashville was, oh, this is going to be temporary and we're all going to get back to normal. And to give a clue in for my listeners that don't live in Nashville, uh, music venues are not allowed to be open here. So they have been closed for this entire actually nine months today. So um, we're recording this on December 14th. So it has been for music industry folks, it has been a tough ride. Yes. So um you know, and, and the other aspect of, of COVID and just the lockdown, um, you know, especially during the lockdown, I was able to to pick up a guitar and, and just play for fun because there was no quote unquote, oh, sorry, no more quotes. <laughs> no more air quotes. <laughs> it's okay. There, there was no, uh, you know, there was no business per se, you know, and there was nothing to learn and there was, you know, no studio work, especially in the early days of, of the lockdown because everyone was a little bit in shock and, and uncertain. So no one was sending tracks, you know, for me to record. So it was nice just to pick up a guitar and play for fun. And there were some songs that I've always wanted to learn. So I thought, Hey, this is a good time to, to deep dive into some of these songs and, um, you know, just being a, a audio gear nerd, you know, to really dive into some gear stuff. And, you know, uh, otherwise I wouldn't have, have necessarily had time for. And so it was great to, to just make the most of the most of a bad situation and, and learn from it and do as much as I can to, to grow from it. Well, it sounds like you've really done that almost and more. I think that uh, it's really commendable how you've handled this time and how you've taken it upon yourself to, you know, not sit and cry in your backyard every day. Like, you know, I'm raising my hand <laughs> like, like myself, for example. Um, so it's, it's awesome to hear, you know, just to go back to what you said in the first question early on the interview where you said, it's not about what's going to go wrong. It's what are you going to do when it happens? Because things are going to go wrong. Now, granted, this is way bigger than we all thought, but the amount of resilience that I see in you and 
what you've been able to accomplish during these nine months is just phenomenal. So I just commend you for that. I just oh, thank you, you very nice much. Nice shout out there. Um, how is real estate? Do you love it? Is it great? Are you excited it. about this new venture? I am so excited. And, you know, it's it's so, there, there's something that I didn't see coming is that I get that same dopamine rush when I help people, whether it's in real estate or whether it's someone on the front row seeing Carrie for the first time and seeing the show, you know, where they're just jumping up, just going nuts. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. It's that same feeling whenever I'm helping someone, you know, when they walk into a house, they're like, oh, this is perfect. You know, to me, it, it's the same. Obviously, they're on two dramatic different scales. They're at the polar opposites of each other. But in my mind, it's still it's the same. And to me, that that makes all the difference in the world. And um, if I can help just one person, then that's to me, that's a job well done. I think that's awesome. Oh, man, how cool. That's just great to find something that gives you that same kind of rush. All right. So going back to COVID, I know during this time, there haven't been a lot of performances. And the ones that you have had, like playing at the ACMs, you're playing at these venues that you've played at many times, like the Grand Ole Opry, but to no audience. What was that like? <laughs> yeah, it was It was very surreal. And, and it, it, what was cool about the ACMs in particular, um, we were in the Opry House, which of course we played so many times, packed out. And it was just, it's kind of a ghostly feel to not have that interaction with any faces looking at you. Instead of, of people in the seats, they had lights that were part of, um, th they were part of a network of lighting that they had. So LEDs that would kind of change colors, which was interesting because it almost resembled like flash bulbs going off. But um, it was just really interesting to do that in a, such a large venue because, you know, there's a lot of times that we play in studios like TV studios where there is nobody and there, it's really kind of awkwardly quiet whenever you finish because there is no, no clapping or anything. But that's one thing because you, you mentally have prepared. You're like, okay, I'm in a studio. It's the band, it's Carrie and it's, you know, you know, cameramen or women and maybe two other people in the room. And so you're, you're expecting that, awkwardness. And so you play to the lens, you play to the camera lens, but it was a different animal when we're on the Opry stage, because we're on this big stage, big room, cameras everywhere, some people in, in the back, you know, in terms of like production people and everything. But it was really just weird when we finished the song. And it's that long pregnant pause. And you're like, wow, this is, uh, this is interesting. So we would just wait and then whenever they yell cut, we all go, oh, my gosh, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's like we just crushed it. And there's not an audience here that's gonna, that's cheering for us <laughs> in this place where you've never not had an audience. Yeah, there's almost like this whole gasp. We're like, ah, OK, how was that? <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it, it was definitely different. But, uh, you know, as professionals, you you change and adapt and just make mm -hmm. the most of it. <laughs> you know, I like that you said, how was that? You know, or you're like, oh, how was that? You know, I, I think as performers, you get a lot of feedback from the audience. So is there a little bit more of a question when, A, you haven't been performing quite as much, so it might be different, and then there's not that audience feedback. Is there a little bit of like, oh, man, I hope that was good? Yeah, I think there is. I, I think there is. I mean, honestly, I haven't even thought about that. But, yeah, I mean, with, with an audience being there, it's, it's instant gratification mm -hmm. because you're getting the feedback instantly. And so whether you're doing something on camera for on tape, as we would say, uh, for, you know, a later recording or like in the studio, a lot of times whenever you're recording something, um, you know, if, if you're recording with a producer, like, you know, traditionally, like a producer's in the control room with the engineer and then you get through playing and it, you do sometimes go, hey, yeah, how was that? You know, <laughs> and so uh, it, it is because and people won't hear, you know, a recording in a studio for, you know, maybe a couple of months or even longer. So you don't get that, that there is no instant gratification in terms of what you just did to know yeah. whether you need to, to alter it and change it or, you know, mold it into something different. 
Yeah, it's like you lose that feedback loop, right? When yeah. you're used to getting that immediate feedback loop, like, oh, this was great, or oh, <laughs> I don't know, we didn't get the normal <laughs> applause here, so maybe we need to do something different. Or like for a comedian, nobody laughed. Like, that's got to be the worst. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, actually, a friend of mine, he's a comedian. And uh, so when all of his dates went away this year, he uh, basically said, you know, he did Zoom calls. And he said, man, it was is the weirdest thing ever because there is no timing for, because a lot of times comedians, they, they say something, they know they're going to get a laugh and then they, they time the next, the next phrase after that, you know, to kind of keep it going. Or maybe it's halfway through everyone's still laughing, but he's like, man, on zoom, it's like, there is nothing, you know I mean? Because everyone's on mute. Because everybody's you muted. Can, you can oh. see, you can see him laughing, but then, but that doesn't translate in terms of the overall, uh-huh. uh, overall performance. So yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> That is interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it. These are all things that they're so ingrained in what we or, or whatnot perform as performers do is we're used right. to. I mean, even as a tour guide, like I'm used to like saying a joke and hearing the laughter or like doing this thing. And like I'm used to that constant feedback loop. And it's almost we at least I rely on it so much that if it went away, like I don't even know that I, there's so many things that I don't even think about anymore yeah. because it's just always been there. So you take that out and I can imagine that there would be some weirdness like, Oh man, like I have to redo <laughs> what I'm doing here because I'm not getting that feedback. So right. it's very fascinating. Well, if you're up for it, Chad, I wrote down some questions. I kind of wanted to do a little lightning round because sure. You work with Carrie Underwood and you've worked with all these amazing artists. Are you up for it? Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. So first of all, this is maybe not quite quick question, but what do you like most about working with these big artists? That's an interesting question. Probably what I love the most is the ability to reach out to more people because the, the more, the bigger the artist is, obviously the, the more people. And I think that it, to me, it registers as, me having an ability to impact more people. Mm-hmm. I like that. Awesome. All right. What is your favorite part of performing? Favorite part of performing is seeing people light up on the first song. See whenever the, the lights go on the crowd and you can see everybody. Uh, that's definitely one of my favorite parts. And just seeing the excitement is, is always fun. Carrie, uh, most of her shows she always had confetti. And so that was always a fun part at the, you know, the last song confetti. And it's, it's kind of a, for us musicians, it's kind of bittersweet because it's cool to see, but then it gets in all of your gear and it's crazy. So most tours she has paper confetti, but there's been a couple where it's called Mylar and it actually, there's small little, almost like metal pieces. And so they would drop it and it would look like rain falling and, you know, with lights and everything, because they all shimmer. Well, the thing with these little metal pieces is that they conduct electricity. Oh, yeah. Wow. Which can get kind of dicey <laughs> with some of our stuff. You know, if it's landing on pickups or and it would literally get in everything. And so, uh, you know, even some people in the band said, you know, their dog spit up some of this mylar at home. Like, how did your dog get it at home? You know, because it fell out of someone, you know, their their gear or some clothes or whatever. So anyway, so the the confetti part at the end of the show is always fun. Well, I'm glad that you say that because there is, uh, I know a lot of like show producers and venue owners and confetti does oh, not have a good it. reputation in this town. No. I think I think often it is uh, an, a, a very high surcharge if you're going to put confetti into yeah. a into a venue because of the amount of cleanup that you have to That's do true. afterwards. So. That's true. And there's actually some venues that we have gone to um, even on this last tour that we still saw that Mylar from like years ago. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it just doesn't go away. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I love that. But that's okay. Cause it is really fun. I, I, so I love that it's fun for you as a musician. Cause I know yeah. it's fun as a, <laughs> when you're not the one cleaning it up. That's right. <laughs> All right. So speaking of music venue, what is your favorite music venue? One that you love to perform at and one that you just love to be at as a, Showgoer. Uh, oh, that's so, so tough. Because they all have different, they all have a different charm to it. You know, whether it's playing like the exit in here in, in Nashville, which that's where I cut my teeth on a lot of my, my music and performing and everything. We, uh, 
Pin Monkey, my band, we used to play down there on Tuesday nights at Billy Block. Uh, Billy Block had a Western beat, and it was a he would record it for a, a radio show and everything. We always loved playing there. And then, of course, also here in Nashville, of course, is the Ryman Auditorium, which people, you know, that that's such a special place. Not only just the room itself, but the nostalgic and the history and and everything about it. But you know, some some lesser some some places that most people wouldn't think of for me in terms of playing that I, just was um, unbelievable was um, I've done two USO tours through uh, the Middle East. So Turkey, Germany, Afghanistan, Iraq, Kuwait, um, Qatar or Qatar, you know, playing for our troops. And there was actually times where we stayed in Saddam's old palace and, you know, just, wow. it was just what a trip it was to being over there supporting our um, men and women. Yeah. And that's definitely one of the coolest places I've I've been. Oh, that's neat. Thank you. It's such a great answer. So tell us, I don't know if it's a favorite, but tell us about a cool, funny moment from being on tour. Like what's just a funny thing that somebody that hasn't been on tour doesn't know about? Like, Oh, um, there's a lot. <laughs> I'm maybe, to maybe like PG to PG 13, yeah. I should say. <laughs> No, it's always fun just being on stage and, and, you know, especially, um, you know, once we get the show down where if someone makes like a, such a, if they play something that's a little bit different than what we normally play, everyone notices, you know, most people in the crowd wouldn't notice, but we notice instantly, you know, once again, as you know, if it's not, if something goes wrong, it's when something goes wrong, how you deal with it. You know, there's sometimes where, when the lift wouldn't go just right. And sometimes the audience thinks that that's part of the show. But of course, we're dying. We're laughing. You know, like, this is so crazy. And people are like, what's everyone laughing at? You know, <laughs> so there's all those those kind of moments. And um, I, I think some of the other moments for me stand out in terms of I, I kind of have Forrest Gump moments, for lack of better uh, phrasing. But I mean, just, you know, where I'm just like, how did I get here? You know, like when Forrest Gump's like with the president and, you know, he's just like standing there and everything. I feel that way sometimes like when I was with Kenny Loggins and we'd be pl- playing I'm all right or danger zone. And I'm like standing next to Kenny Loggins. I'm like, how did I get here? What is going on? <laughs> and and even with Carrie, you know, doing some of the, uh, you know, being on stage with her. And there, there's a couple of times when she would just hit, you know, certain high notes and just hold it out. And I'm, I'm just standing there. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. And so there's, there's definitely a lot of pinch me moments, you know, where I'm thinking of just, how did I get here? Oh, I love that. That's just lovely. I, yeah, I can imagine that. I, I just, yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. Okay. Sorry. I can't not respond. Cause it's just amazing. <laughs> um, lastly. Okay. Can you think of anything else that I should ask you in the lightning round? Cause I've got one question to wrap it up, but no, I think we're no? good. Okay, yeah. cool. So last question of the right lightning round. What do you miss the most? about being on tour and performing in front of live audiences? The people, my bandmates, you know, cause I mean, we're, we're a family and you know, a lot of people, when you talk to musicians, a lot of times they'll say, you know, my, my home, my family, family and my road family. And, and it's, it's for sure the, the truth, because I mean, a lot of us have been together for the last 13, 14 years and, you know, we know each other's kids and, or, you know, we know their kids' names and, and, um, and spouses and everything like that. And so, yeah, this year, I mean, we just haven't been able to hang out. And so I miss being with my, my bandmates and, and Carrie, of course, and, and, and also just the crowds, you know, it's fun just to missing that interaction is something that I miss. Yeah, I can imagine. So speaking of, I guess, Carrie, do you get to know her on these tours? Are you guys like, do you get to be friends? She you know, I'm assuming, I don't know. I don't know how much contact there is or how much closeness there is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, through the years of playing with different artists, it's, it's different for each artist and, and also just in terms of what season they are in, in their life. But yeah, so with Carrie, it's, it's been great. And she's, she's always fun to be around. You know, she's a great person and I I love it whenever, because we, we had a a post party of one of the award shows not too long ago and they're playing um, like eighties music. 80s and early 90s rock and she's like a human jukebox she knows every word to every 
especially Guns N' Roses. That's her favorite. And so. Oh, really? That's so great. Everything about it. You know, she sings along. As a matter of fact, um, our last show was uh, for the Cry Pretty Tour was October 31st, uh, 2019. And she, um, a couple of days before the last show, she, we, we always hang out with her before we go on the show and we have a prayer time and everything. And she just said, um, guys, I've got something I would like to ask you. And we're like, okay, sure. What, what is it? And she said, so after our October 31st show, our last show, would you guys want to hop on the jet and fly to Vegas and go see guns and roses play? We're like, yeah. So that's what we did. We, uh, after the show, we flew overnight to Vegas and then we watched Guns N' Roses the next night and just had awesome seats. And then we flew home the next morning. So it was so much fun. Yeah. And so, but yeah. She's great. And then of course there was that time we we're in, in Australia and, and, uh, she said, uh, let's go skydiving like as a group, everyone. So she took all of us, whoever wanted to go jumping. And so we all went skydiving in Sydney, Australia. So. Oh my gosh, that's we so have fun. a lot of fun. That's awesome. I that's that's great. Thank you for that little inside look into things. And I did not know that about Guns and Roses and Carrie Underwood, but I can say I worked their show in 2019 at Bridgestone Arena. It was a hell of a show, and yeah. it was well probably the loudest show I've ever attended in my life. <laughs> I, they I they did not it. mess around. <laughs> yeah, with the pyrotechnics, it was it was awesome. It was it was a heck of a show. Yeah, I bet. I bet in Vegas it was spectacular. It was. That's awesome. Well, before we close out, first of all, thank you so much for your time today, Chad. Thank you. I always like to ask every person that we have on the show, if you could give advice to somebody that wants to build a five-star experience, what one or two pieces of advice would you give? I would say, um, you know, no matter what you sell, no matter what service you provide, it's a people business. It's about relationships, and w- without that, I think that you'll you'll suffer. <laughs> I think I think it, it's all about people business, and I, I think regardless of what you're doing, that that's the most important part. The other part is I always go into everything in terms of how can I make this experience the best it can be at this moment. So if it's if it's a podcast, what can I do in this space right now to make this the best thing possible? When I'm on a stage at the Exit Inn or if I'm on a stage at Bridgestone, it doesn't matter which stage it is. What can I do right now? Because the only thing we have is the present. So what can I do right now to make this the best experience for everybody involved? And to me, it's it's taking those moments and, and really focusing in on moment by moment, not what do I have to do next week or, or not being in the moment, but um, just making the best experience that you can. That's lovely. Thank you so much for that answer. All right. If anybody wants to get connected with you, what ways can they do that? Yes. Well, it's chadjeffers.com, J-E-F-F-E-R-S.com, or on all social medias, Chad Jeffers. Look me up. I would love to connect with you. Wonderful. And I'll go ahead and I'll link your book and I'll link your backstage notes course as well in the show notes. So if anybody's interested in either of those things, check it out in the show notes. I'll be sure to have links directly to Chad's things. Well, thank you again for your time today, Chad. This has been amazing. So much fun talking to another Nashvilleian about the incredible music industry. Awesome. Thank you, Christine. Thanks for having me. Chad, it was my pleasure. How do you not feel inspired after today's episode? I don't know about you, but I have never wanted to go see a live show more than I do right now. What I think is so great is Chad gave us so many tips and strategies on how to bring your best performance to anything that you're doing, whether it be a sales speech or a tour or a conference call or a live music performance. But also, I'm so excited to see a concert hopefully in first or second quarter, probably second or third quarter of 2021, because I know that I will have an even deeper appreciation of all the different things and people that it takes behind the scenes in order to make a performance like that come together. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and I've got nine amazing takeaways for you. Number one, it all comes down to relationships. Connect, be kind, and make people feel like home. Number two, you've got to expect the unexpected and you've got to be ready at all times. 
The smallest of opportunities can often be expanded into an even greater opportunity. Number three, it's not if something goes wrong, but when something goes wrong, how do you deal with it? How you deal with it makes all of the difference in the world. Number four, be prepared and know your material. The better you know the material, the more confident you will be. 99% of a great performance is knowing your material, being confident, and showing up ready to perform. Number five, plan time to recharge so that you can bring your best to every performance. Number six, we're not pivoting. We're expanding the skills that we already have into different industries. We're still providing solutions. Number seven, make the most of a bad situation and do everything you can to grow from it. Number eight, it's a people business and it's all about relationships. And number nine, Think about how I can make this experience the best it can be at this particular moment for everybody involved. Take it moment by moment and don't think about what happened before or what's going to happen a couple days in the future. All right, team, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, if you could take two seconds and leave me a rating on Apple iTunes, that would mean the world to me. It lets Apple know that we're doing an amazing job and it helps them show us to listeners that haven't found us yet. Next week, I've got my first solo episode of 2021 where I'm going to start diving into why customer experience matters. So that will be the first topic for 2021. We'll also talk about what the difference is between customer experience and customer service, because I know that there can be some confusion and there is a difference. So we'll dive deep into that next week. Cannot wait to see you then. And in the meantime, go be exceptional.